0: Dear listener and fellow story lover, As this week commences with Valentine's Day, I thought I would share with you two short pieces this week. The first is an opinion or advice piece by a popular author of the time, and the other is a short satirical article. Both I thought would be appropriate to the theme, particularly so for 1915. It is interesting to note that that although many ideas may have changed in over a hundred years, some attitudes still have their merits. I hope you enjoy this week's Stories from Before. The Wife Who Believes in Her Husband Written by Temple Bailey Read by Selina Cadell by permission of the Lutterworth Press Music by Stacy Weir Molly was a captivating little creature, with her shining hair puffed out under her plumed hat, with her delicate frills, with her old-fashioned tea roses, and with her self-possessed manner tempered by a charming femininity. "'It is because I believe in Jack that I'm going to marry him,' she said, as she told me of her engagement. "'He knows that I expect a lot of him, and he's glad that I do,' He says that he'd hate to be considered a finished product, and I feel the same way about myself. But we are going to believe in each other and work towards things and be happy ever after. Those whose dreams are a trifle world-worn may smile at such extravagance of expression, yet they will know deep in their hearts that the wife who believes in her husband has a hundred chances of happiness against the one chance of the wife who feels that there is within her no force piloted by faith which shall make her lover what she wishes him to be. Margaret, who is beautiful and brilliant and a bit proud of her scepticism, dismisses such enthusiasms with a shrug of the shoulder. "'What's the use?' is what the gesture implies. "'Malcolm will be just Malcolm, no matter what I believe of him.' Yet centuries ago, a wise man said, Where there is no vision, the people perish. What we believe in a large measure shapes the destinies, not only of ourselves, but of those we love. Margaret need not shrug her shoulders in the face of proved fact. She would better sit at the feet of my little Molly of the plumed hat, who was wise with the great wisdom of the good and loving woman. Yet Molly is not in the least goody-goody, and for that reason she will more easily sway her jack towards the things which are worth while. No man loves a prig on the pedestal, but most men will bend the knee to sincerity and sweet humanity. More often than the young wife knows, her lover-husband whispers to his heart, Lord, make me worthy and keep her true and good such men, when they marry women of mean or coarse natures, face chaos for a time. The wife, who believes in her husband's worship of the divine in women, will never hold herself cheaply or lightly. To live up to the measure of a husband's reverence is to keep the candles burning always bright on the altar of love. But sometimes, as the romance wears off, The young husband lets his ambitions grip him. He strives for unworthy things. His aims are low. His eyes are fixed on the earth, not on the stars. It is then that the wife who believes in her husband will bring to bear all her batteries of common sense. She will say, as my little Molly would say in the face of disillusion or disappointment, There isn't any sense in letting a man go to pieces, And Jack is worth saving. Such a belief in the ultimate triumph of good over bad in a man's nature would prevent many a divorce. It would save many a wife from the darkness of despair and separation. It would bring many a couple out of the shadows of misunderstanding and into the sunshine of reconciliation. Yet such belief should have in it nothing of weakness. It is not the woman who condones a man's faults who helps him. It is the one who shows him how to rise above them and whose conviction of his ability to do this is his buckler and shield against temptation. The wife who believes in her husband will understand that the demand for comfort and order and serenity in his home is not unreasonable. When a man marries, he becomes not only the husband but the family wage earner. When a woman marries, she becomes not only the wife, but the helpmate. He takes upon himself the burden of her support. She takes upon herself the equal obligation of homemaking. Yet some women are years in learning, and some of them never learn, that the husband has the right to demand the economic cooperation of his wife. The husband has a right, which is not unreasonable, to expect the wife to understand the business of domesticity, as he understands the business of money-making. Yet how often one hears the absolute ineffective wife reproaching her husband for his lack of business success, not knowing that she, too, has failed in her woman's business of thrift and cosy comfort. I know an honoured politician whose only place of refuge in all his stately mansion is a stuffy den over the kitchen. The trail of the woman folk is over every other room in the house. His dressing room is a formal one of Jacobean correctness, very immaculate, not a man's idea of a room at all. But his wife wanted it to fit in with the period in which the rest of the house was furnished. There are hundreds of men earning good incomes who haven't a single well-arranged and comfortable corner where their racked 20th century nerves may find rest. The acquirement of pottery candlesticks and of art prints in the simpler establishment, or of real rugs and old mahogany in the more luxurious one, will not make up for the loss of serenity caused by the wife's lack of consideration. The End I hope you enjoyed this opinion piece by author Temple Bailey. And now please continue to listen for The Girl Who Is Going To Be Married. The Girl Who Is Going To Be Married Written by Jessie Beatty, Read by Selina Cadell by permission of the Lutterworth Press Music by Stacey Weir Generally speaking, The Girl Who Is Going To Be Married wears a diamond ring, five stones, claw-setting, upon a conspicuous third finger. And it is quite remarkable what a number of things the left hand of an engaged girl finds to do. It is hardly ever still. She generally is speaking, too, with a fond, faraway look in her bonny blue eyes. They always have bonny blue eyes. Of the manifold perfections of a certain immaculate he. This always saddens me, for one knows he will have to die young and leave this wicked, wicked world. The girl at this interesting portion of her career occasionally develops an absorbing interest in things culinary. It sometimes becomes a great trial to her family. She will feverishly attend a course of high-class cookery classes given by a lady of unpronounceable name and very high fees. And after the lesson, she hurries home, puts on an important air, and a peculiar apron with sleeves, and descends mysteriously into the kitchen regions, where, after spending many, many weary hours to the cook, she proudly produces a dish full of peculiar-looking cakes which answer to particularly vicious names they appear to be, indeed, fearfully and wonderfully made. The older and wiser branches of the family find them useful, as very pretty paperweights, but the younger and unwise develop insidious incurable diseases which baffle the medical faculty. The girl, however, soon tires of this industry and begins to think seriously upon the high art of furnishing and forthwith writes peremptory letters to large furniture emporiums in town, who, in reply, send her back big fat catalogues, which he and she study together for weeks. Then, after much indecision, anxious thought, and endless measuring, she returns the books and orders one large cushion square. A sweet thing in blue special line two shillings, eleven and three quarter pence. The engaged girl is never, at any time, a very wildly interesting lady to converse with. She is so dreadfully wrapped up in herself and her own affairs. But when the furnishing is really in progress, her society is to be shunned by all sane and self-respecting people. You may rush into her room and with bated breath and excited eye, Tell her the very latest and most thrilling piece of news and she will look up at you vacantly from some dull book of wallpapers and say dreamily, Do sit down. Now, would you have the drawing room distempered or would you have a plain blue paper? You suddenly remember you have forgotten to order the dinner and so you fly. I have discovered that one of the crowning joys in the life of the girl who is going to be married is the getting together of a number of new clothes for her own wear, which is called a trousseau. The amount of thought and anxious care that is expended upon this said collection might evolve a new railway system or create an earl's court exhibition. Buying a trousseau generally takes years off the girl's life and her poor mother's too. Friendships of long-standing have been known to give way under the strain of accompanying a trousseauist on one of her days of shopping. And oh, the strain on the trousseauist herself. In a very weak moment, I once went with a girl who was in the throes of this nerve-wearing quest. We started off very nicely, but after lunch... "'Signs of brain fag appeared. "'She became quite light-headed "'and wandered in her mind as the day wore on, "'demanding boots and shoes from distracted ladies "'in the blouse department, and ordered a hundred hats. "'I grew nervous and persuaded her to "'come away quietly and have tea somewhere. "'So, in an exhausted condition, "'we staggered into a Bond Street tea shop,' "'and sank into the nearest chairs. "'The habits of the day, however, were too strong for my poor friend. "'As the waitress approached for orders, "'she raised her flickering eyelids and murmured wearily, "'Show me your petticoats.' "'The waitress, who was most respectably connected "'and supported an aged mother, swooned away amongst the teacups.' I shall send messenger boys for my trousseau. Sometimes it happens that engaged girls do not get married after all. There is once a girl who lived in our square, who was engaged to three men at the same time, just to make sure. And yet she died an old maid. But the secret of this was that she became confused about the rings and wore Algernon's diamond and pearl on Charlie's evening, which everyone agreed was extremely careless of her and plainly showed that she was quite unfit for the serious duties of a wife. The end. I hope you enjoyed these two short pieces, some sage bits of advice and also humour. Additionally, I do hope that you have a lovely Valentine's Day if you celebrate it. Please subscribe or follow this podcast and share it with your family and friends. I hope you enjoy a lovely week and I look forward to being with you next week when I again share stories from before.